Part one of With the American Ambulance Field Service in France Personal Letters of a Driver at the Front by Leslie Buswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. With the American Ambulance Field Service in France American Ambulance June seventeenth. I came here, Pont a Mousson, last night after a seven hours journey to Nancy from Paris on the way i found much to interest me as if you will look on your map you will see that the railway runs beside the river marne then the meuse and lastly the moselle an officer pointed out to me all the interesting places where the germans advanced and then retreated in a hurry or practically a rout leaving everything behind even to their flags which i believe are now in london after passing these and nearing nancy i saw what looked like a fleet of aeroplanes and the officer explained to me that it was a flying taube being shot at by the french it looked like this diagram follows i am told that they rarely hit one on arriving at nancy i was met by salisbury our section leader and after a very good meal in the most beautiful little town you could hope to see and where the kaiser and ten thousand troops in dress parade were waiting on a hill close by to enter in state last october we started by motor for pont a mousson some fifteen kilometres further on our lights were put out and we then entered the region under shell-fire it was a funny feeling listening to my conductor talking about how this shell and that shell hit here and there and all along the route we passed torn-up trees, houses, and roads. At last we came to Pont-à-Masson, a dear little village with about eight thousand inhabitants, and felt our way, so to speak, in the darkness and silence to the barracks which are now the headquarters of the ambulance. I found that there were about twenty cars and twenty-two men here, the latter all enthusiastic about their work and the help the section were giving the French. The day before I arrived a shell hit the house next door, and on first sight one would think it was the barracks itself which had been hit. These huge high-explosive shells are sent into the town every two or three days, and everywhere one sees masses of brick and stone, all that remains of houses struck. The Germans have bombarded the town over one hundred and ten times after being introduced to the boys i went to my room which is some hundred and sixty meters up the road nearer the trenches but safer for all that here i found i was to share the house with another man schroeder by name a hollander and a very nice fellow who has already lost one brother and has had another wounded in the french army my bedroom is a quite typical french peasant room very comfortable and i felt grateful to know that i was to have a bed and not straw to sleep on i went to sleep there my first night in comparative quietness only hearing now and then a crack of a musket which in peacetime one would think was merely a backfire of some motor in the morning i woke at six and went to breakfast in our barracks which is always served at seven o'clock walking out of my front door i came into the main street to the left is the way to the town and the barracks to the right the road goes straight on an avenue of trees my friend or housemate pointed out about five hundred meters away what looked like a fallen tree across the road imagine my feelings when he told me that they were the french trenches 
to the right and left of this avenue are hills and on the left runs the river moselle on the ridge of hills on the right one sees a brown line these are the german trenches and walking down the road to breakfast one gets the knowledge that a first-class rifle shot could pick one off after breakfast i was asked by one of the men roder if i would like to look about the place and i jumped at the invitation we got into a ford ambulance no one can realize the excellence of the ford for this purpose until he has seen what they can do and we started on a tour or petit promenade as an officer told us we were doing pont a mousson was in the hands of the germans for five days and our headquarters were the german officers headquarters the french partially blew up the bridge which crosses the moselle at this most picturesque point and for the last five days the germans have been bombarding it attempting in their turn to destroy it many of the houses round it seem to have been hit and the two places where shells have taken most effect are on the bridge the french have repaired with wood the boys tell me it is a wonderful sight to see the water rising like a geyser when the shells hit the river to show how careless the few remaining peasants are directly the germans have apparently ceased firing they get into boats to pick up the fish killed in hundreds by the concussion we left the river where we could be clearly seen by the germans entrenched some thousand meters away and i confess i sighed in relief for it is difficult to accustom one's self immediately to the possibility of receiving a bullet in one's head or a shell in one's stomach we then went through the town everywhere being told stories of how on such and such a day last week five men were killed there and three wounded here and so on all the houses are left open and one can walk into any doorway that looks interesting and do a tour of inspection we left pont a mousson and started up the hill to our first place de secour x you will see it on your map some three kilometers from pont a mousson roeder as we sped on carefully explained that i was never to drive along this particular road but was to take a back way as the commandant had forbidden anyone to use this route which was in full view of the german artillery and trenches if he could have realized how i felt he would have taken me by the back way that time too on the other side of the hill on our right extended the famous bois la petra but it is no longer a wood it is just a wilderness with a few brown stumps sticking up would you like to go into the bois i was asked i felt i had been in as much danger as i was likely to get into so i said yes and we turned to the left and mounted a steep hill and entered it here the birds were singing and all was green and beautiful it was a part where the artillery had not been but one could see trench after trench deserted here was an officer's cemetery a terribly sad sight six hundred officers graves close by were also the graves of eighteen hundred soldiers the little cemetery was quite impressive on the side of this lovely green hill with the great trees all around and the little plain wood crosses at each grave as we waited a broken-down horse appeared with a cartload of what looked like old clothes les morts i had never seen a dead body until that moment it was a horrible awakening eight stiff semi-detached armless trunkless headless bodies all men like ourselves with people loving them somewhere all gone this way because of what 
I don't know, do you? A grave had been dug two meters deep, large enough to hold sixteen, and then we were asked to group ourselves around the car to be taken pour souvenir. I managed to do it. I stood there by those dead men and tried to look as if it were a natural thing to do. I felt like being sick. Then one by one they were lowered into the grave, and when they were all laid out the identification started to take place. The good boots were taken off, and if a coat was not too bloody or torn it was kept. Surely we must be going, I said. No, no, not before we have shown you the dead in the fosse there. Good God, I cried, I can't do that now. And I did not. We returned to Pont-en-Mousson for lunch at twelve o'clock, and I felt a very different person, and wondered how I could have felt faint the week before on merely seeing the photographs of wounded in our Neuilly hospital. One becomes habitué, they tell me. I was then officially handed over the car I am to drive, and I began looking over all the parts, as we have to do everything for ourselves here. Saturday. It hardly seems possible that we are so close to the German trenches, fair food, even hot water, wonderful moonlight nights, and a comfortable bed. Every other night we have to sleep in barracks to be on duty any moment, and so we sleep on straw and don't undress. Every fourth night we are on duty all night and go to X and stay there in the car taking wounded to the first, second, and third base hospitals. Thursday was my baptism of fire, for we had a great artillery duel, and it was very interesting, though not at all quieting, to hear the big guns fired and shells exploded over our heads. About six o'clock it stopped and we went in to dinner. Afterward, another boy, Barclay, went for a walk with me, and we stopped to talk to two peasant girls who still remained in the town. Come in and have some strawberries, they invited, and the way these girls offered us all the little luxuries their house could afford showed us how respected the American ambulance is by the peasants as well as the officers. Do you fence? one of them asked. Yes, a little, I answered, and foils were brought out, and we started in. The girl fenced well, but I managed to remember a little of what I once knew, when suddenly I heard a man's voice say in French, Well done, well done, give me the foils, my daughter, quick, and I was introduced to a fine old soldier who had fought in the campaign of 1870. We saluted and started again, but here I soon realized the touch of a master, and although I got in a few hits, I was easily beaten and felt a little downcast. But my husband is a professor of fencing for forty years, observed Madame. I retired to bed, feeling that though beaten, I might have many happy games in the evening at fencing with the vieux maître. Yesterday I took out my ambulance alone and carried eight wounded for the first time. I am now gradually slipping into my place, and the sense of strangeness is passing off. June 19th. To continue from where I left off, I am now on duty at the Bureau, our headquarters here. Last night, as I was finishing my supper, I was told to go to F to fetch a contagious case and take it to the train. Sunday. I was suddenly interrupted by being called to fetch the wounded from X, and I am just back. 
My roommate offered to come with me and get the contagious case, which proved fortunately to be only measles, and we started off on what I thought then one of the most amazing trips of my life. Turning suddenly to the left from the main road, I drove our little Ford three kilometers along the road which was in full view of the Germans and which had been the death place of many passers-by. Then, turning left again, we drove slowly to a village so full of soldiers that it seemed impossible so many could even find shelter, a quick turn to the right, up, 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 first speed, along a very narrow road, with just room for the car. On both sides were stuck-up cut tree branches to make the Germans think there was no road. Up we went through another tiny hill village full of artillery, and on every side underground dugouts where they all live, trees blown down, branches stuck here and there to look like trees, and at last we reached the top. The water in the radiator was boiling, so we stopped, walked a bit in the most beautiful woods, and picked flowers and wild strawberries to the tune of birds and distant cannon. In this wood are heavy naval guns, but from where and how they were ever taken there is a puzzle. On we went through more woods until we were stopped by a sentry who directed us still further, and then I saw what was the most dreamlike spectacle I ever beheld. The thick woods teemed with soldiers, and dotted through the forests were little huts, very low, where they live, thousands of them, pathways starting every twenty yards to some new wood village. We heard music, and on reaching our destination, were invited to inspect these quaint habitations. We walked down a path, past hut after hut, and then suddenly the wood opened out, and we came to a kind of amphitheater, and my friend and I were conducted to fauteuils, so to speak, and we listened, after much handshaking and vive l'Amérique, vive l'Angleterre, and camarade, etc., to a band of three banjo, violin, and dulcimer. As I write, a shell has just exploded nearby. I jump to see where, about two hundred yards away, and the smoke is slowly clearing. We soon left our friends and took our contagious case to the station. After passing through wonderful valleys, hills, woods, and plains, we returned home pretty tired, wondering how such atrocities could be taking place in such a perfect country. We go regularly to X to get our blessé, and for two out of the six kilometers we are exposed to German view, and the whole of the way, of course, to shell-fire. On my first arrival at this little mountain village I was horrified to see two people lying dead in the road in huge pools of blood. Six German 150s had been suddenly launched into the village, which is full of soldiers, and killed six soldiers and wounded some thirty. Three of the six shots had landed actually in the road itself. Two of our ambulances were in the street at the time, and only chance spared them. I asked where the shells had struck, and my stretcher-bearer looked round for a moment and then pointed under my own car, and there was a hole some nine inches deep and two feet wide. It made me feel rather rotten, I must say only five minutes before, and it might happen again at any moment. I took down three couchés, as the lying-down ones are called, and had to pass in front of a battery of seventy-five, which fired as I passed, and gave me a shaky knee feeling, I can tell you. 
then backward and forward for two hours carrying more wounded and to add to the excitement it rained so hard that i was thankful i had bought myself two uniforms and could change Today is Sunday, and after a rather uncomfortable night in my clothes and a snatchy sleep, I have a day off. Salisbury, our section leader, asked me to go with him to Toul, and I went for what proved to be a wonderful drive through sleeping villages and semi-tilled land and woods and valleys. Toul is one of the most fortified towns in France, and as we approached we saw trench after trench and wire entanglements and so forth, the Germans, however, will never advance so far, I think. We stopped at the aeroplane sheds where we picked up a captain, Australian, and with him entered Toul, a quiet sleeping town with a lovely church. Returning, we were taken over the sheds and saw a large quantity of biplanes and monoplanes. I am now waiting to be taken up into the trenches, but the bombardment I spoke of earlier has continued so heavily that I doubt if we shall get up to them after all. The whole section here does real work night and day amidst great hardships and no small danger, and the French appreciation is very apparent. German prisoners say that the Germans intend utterly demolishing Pont-à-Masson if they have to retire any more, but it would take about 250,000 shells to do it, and I doubt if it is worth their while. If anyone can imagine the feeling of a peaceful man who suddenly hears a gun fired and a shell whistling overhead, followed by the explosion, and then vice versa by the enemy, he will perhaps sympathize with the disagreeable sensation I experienced when I first heard it happen. However, for five days it has gone on constantly, and soon I shall become accustomed. Monday. This very long letter will probably end in being so dull that it will not be worth reading, but when everything is fresh to me it is easy to describe. After three or six weeks I shall probably write that I have no news, for one day is doubtless a repetition of the other, therefore while my impressions are new I must scribble them down. I did not get to the trenches last night, as the bombardment became so bad it would have been foolish to take so great a risk sightseeing. If we had had to go to get wounded it would have been different. I stood in the road opposite the little house I live in, and watched the Germans bombard X. It was rather like a stage scene or a colored picture show. X is a little valley town with the conventional church steeple and about two and one-half kilometers as the crow flies from Pont-à-Mousson. Shrapnel, curiously enough, is not considered very dangerous, and the soldiers here treat it with contempt. The Germans use it to keep people from going on to the streets to put out fires which may have been started by their two tens or one-fifty high explosives. Late yesterday afternoon they set fire to a haystack, and the smoke made them think that the village was on fire. So they sent about one hundred shrapnel one after the other over it, and it was most interesting to see the flash in the sky, then a white cotton wool effect, and finally the sound of explosion. The French behind Ah immediately opened fire, and the music began. It lasted about an hour, but as none of our men were wounded, we did not have to go up there. After dinner, three of us went for a little walk along the Moselle. One can see the Germans about a thousand meters away on the hills, and as you walk along the banks of the river they can see you distinctly, but they don't bother to fire, which is kind of them. 
We sat down and watched two soldiers fishing, and I took a photo of them, as I thought it so amusing for people to fish under the direct and easy rifle shot of the Bosch. We then went and talked to a lot of soldiers about to return to the trenches. They are all nice to us, and it would make an American proud if he could see how the American boys here are respected and loved. One officer was very indignant because those dirty Boches had actually thrown five shells into his trench yesterday. As he wandered off muttering, I will show them les cochons, les cochons, cochons, rather sleepily, I thought, I couldn't help remembering the Dormouse in Alice in Wonderland. It appeared that at the particular line of trenches where he was they had agreed only to fire at each other with rifles. In several places here the trenches are only fifteen or twenty meters apart, and the French and Germans are on quite good terms. They exchange tobacco for wine and paper for cigarettes, and then return and shoot at each other quite merrily. About Christmas or February, I am told, by soldiers who were then there, they used to walk into each other's trenches and exchange stories and so forth, but now they have become méchants. I am feeling pretty sick today, and rather dread tonight, as I have all-night duty at X. I am not at all well. It is the hard food we are having, I suppose. Anyhow, I find myself nice and thin again, so your shocking example of gaining weight last spring is now of no influence. Doc comes tomorrow, and I will give him this letter to post, as it would never get through unless posted in Paris. I have just returned from Belleville, where I took three cochers and two assises. One of the couchets was raving, and he yelled and shrieked the whole seventeen kilometers. It was horrible. When I arrived at Belleville, where they are put on a train and sent to a base hospital, I found that in his agony he had torn off his clothes and broken the hangers of the stretcher, so it was a wonder he did not completely fall on the two men below. Our cars are packed like this. Diagram follows. I do not know what could be worse than having a poor peaceful peasant who, forced to fight and after perhaps months of agonizing trench life, badly wounded, shrieks with pain and misery as you try to avoid the many bad bumps in the road. We expect a big attack today, and we have evacuated all the ex-hospitals. It looks, too, as if they were preparing for many wounded. Any kind of news will be greatly appreciated. If you do not hear very regularly from me, remember it will be because work is too heavy. Thursday. Doc has not yet arrived. He was expected Tuesday, so I am afraid you won't have heard from me this week, as he will miss the mail. I am sitting at the window of my bedroom, with the sun streaming through on the table, and can imagine myself at Beauport, or the bungalow, but every three or four minutes, boom, and then bang, and boom, the Germans firing on Montauville and the French replying. As I sit here, I can see the smoke rising from the village, and I wonder if either of our ambulances, which are on duty there, have been hurt. Doc may come tonight, and if he does so, I will make him come to X tomorrow, as it is my day's duty there, and he will have some excitement. On my right, I can see, about a thousand meters away, the German trenches. It is strange to sit at a window and be in such a position, and yet be writing a letter as though we were all together again in Gloucester. 
I have been very sick, but today I am better again and am very grateful for my recovery. Yesterday I discovered that the main backspring of my car was broken and I had to replace it. Imagine me on my back all day working like a madman to get the job done in time for duty last night. I managed it all right, however, and so feel myself quite a mechanic. My old bus has a horrid habit of running forward when I crank it. I think I have more dread of cranking my car than of a German obus. Last night I went into the square to see the civilians leave. There are not a great many left, but the women are a nuisance, morally, and so the governor is turning them out as quickly as he can. Alas, that they could not have done their part better. It was a sad sight, many, many tears, and some hysterics. The governor, a splendid old colonel, came up and talked with us, there were four of us, and was eager to hear when America was to join the Allies. He quite spoils us all, and anything we want he sees we have, if it is possible. Last night it was amusing to see his indignation when he learned that we were paid as ordinary poilus, a familiar term of endearment referring to the unshaven men in the trenches, a sou a day. We don't draw the pay. He gallantly declared that we should all rank as sub-lieutenants and should be compensated as such, for he added, you brave boys do as much as any soldier at the front and take as much risk. I like the French gallantry and sincerity. One meets it everywhere. The officers all salute us, and the poilus all cheer, smile, and vive l'Amérique, etc., and I feel that the work of the section is real. I have rarely met a happier lot of fellows, and all so good-natured and generous. You never hear a hard word. All work for the good cause, and as efficiency is unity, we try to be efficient. I wish you could see this dear old garrison town with its poplars and bridge and church and the lazy Moselle slowly creeping along to quieter and happier places. Here and there are fallen houses and often gaps in the walls and torn up trees. The house next to us has been hit and looks like this, picture follows, with piles of stone and brick all over the road. I always try to talk with the soldiers. My French is improving, but still rotten, and I find they have become fatalists. Some of the regiments here have been filled up several times, and I hear that 35,000 French have been killed in the Bois-le-Petre. Every day great shells or hand grenades fall into the trenches, and many a poor peasant or higher caste of Frenchman is called away. I took three wounded to the hospital this morning from X, after they had only been in the trenches twenty minutes, having come straight from the home base. They talked so hopelessly about their chance of life. An old chap asked me yesterday if I would like a German rifle. Well, rather, said I. He promised he would bring it to me at seven o'clock, unless an Ulbus hit him. He did not come, poor fellow, but perhaps he forgot his promise. I hope so. Pont-a-Mousson, June 25th. You will not have received any mail from me this week, and I am very sorry if I have caused you any anxiety. Doc said he would be here last Tuesday, and to our surprise he has not even arrived yet. I am a little anxious about him, and so tried to send him a wire to ask if he is well. As yet I have received no answer. 
the three letters i have written could never possibly reach you from here as we are only allowed to write little open letters or postals so i shall wait until he comes before i send them the last few days have been quiet but for me full of interest and hard work i am better but my illness of the three days has pulled me down a lot and the food is not good enough to allow me to pick up strength quickly i have had many long talks with soldiers and they tell me most interesting stories one told me that he got on such friendly terms with the germans in a trench ten meters away that he asked them all to put their heads above the trench so as to take their photos and i have been promised a copy also that they promised to tell each other when they meant to attack or blow up a trench the mining of the trenches is the most horrible method of warfare existing i think there seems so little chance in fact none the worst implement of destruction for the trench livers is the new kind of projectile called a torpille a sort of torpedo it is fired from about four hundred meters and is noiseless very large and terribly destructive nearly all of the poor fellows we take to the hospital have been zote by a mine or hit by a torpille the french have developed a projectile of the same sort and neither side has had them more than six weeks it has a kind of tail to its head see sketch and is shot from a sort of small gun of course they shoot big shells of say two ten or two eighty into the trenches and so marvelous is the accuracy of firing that they explode often on the floor of the trench a shell however one can hear coming the whistle is very plain and you have perhaps one second or two to hide the torpilla gives no warning is just as large and therefore very deadly yesterday i visited the trenches i left here at four o'clock in the morning and started up the hill through a little village rather like what the french call me Boustville, which has been much bombarded and then climbed up past disused trenches until we came to a sentry who directed us up to the company where a friend had promised to meet me at last i found him and we started for the premier ligne i felt a little nervous and anxious as i did not care to get killed sightseeing my friend pointed out some bushes to me and i had not noticed what he said when on passing within a foot of another bush i found myself looking into the muzzle of a seventy-five gun for some distance every inch seemed full of great guns and little guns all so cleverly hidden that it would seem impossible to know they were there at last we came to a hill and were told by a sentry that we could not pass that way for some reason or other perhaps the position of a battery had just been changed and we had either to go straight back or right across a field three hundred yards wide in full view of the germans three hundred and fifty meters away said my friend oh i think they are eating now let's risk it they never fire while food is about so somewhat against human nature i assented and we slowly trudged across the open i confess i was relieved when we reached the shady wood still mounting up we passed hundreds and hundreds of blue-coated soldiers returning from their night vigil in the trenches and then the noise and chatter of men and birds seemed to die away and i could hear little else but the crack of some twig one of us walked on or the occasional bang of a rifle 
This deadly silence, it was really quite awe-inspiring, continued as we passed silent groups of soldiers sipping coffee, tea, or soup. Then we took three or four steps down and henceforth walked in trenches. Winding, curving, zigzag we went, no trench being more than five meters straight. The soldiers silently smiled. One heard whispered, American. I saluted an officer, who smiled in return, and showed me his room. Really, it was quite comfortable. At last we came to a trench where every meter soldiers stood looking and waiting. It was the thin blue line that guards France's frontier for four hundred kilometers. The Germans are not pressing or attacking this particular place at present, and so the whole trench is so wonderfully neat and so clean and so uniform and almost comfortable, one began to wonder whether it was only a sideshow in some exhibition. We walked very quietly along this trench for some two kilometers, and I suddenly discovered that in my interest I had allowed but forty-five minutes to get home if I was to be in time for duty at seven. So I made a hasty retreat and arrived back at barracks just in time. End of Part 1